listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. This morning, we're coming to an end. We bring an end to our Sunday morning series here through the book of Daniel. And we're going to do it this morning by tackling two chapters, over 60 verses. So we're going to be here like for two hours. Uh, at the rate we're going. And uh, so, you know, buckle in and uh, don't get too comfortable. I even think we should jack the air conditioning so you don't get too comfortable because what we're talking about here is really important. So we're going to be looking over 60 verses. We're actually going to be sailing through a lot of these verses because some of them have already been touched on and talked about earlier in the book as we will see here. And so we're going to bring a recap, a short little recap, and then we're going to get into some new material. Now, the book of Daniel, this amazing book from God's Word that we've been working through over the last number of months was written over 2,500 years ago. And it's amazing how over 2,500 years ago, God's word is still so relevant and so powerful and so dynamic for us even today and speaking into what we are going to. And you're going to see that. You're going to see God's word just come alive here in the truth of what his word has to say. And so this book was written 2,500 years ago. And the major theme throughout this encourage you. I hope that you're remembering this. When you think of the book of Daniel, I hope you're going to think of this, that God is what? God God is large and in charge. Yes, you can read, but I hope that you remember that, that, that through the book of Daniel, through your life, through the word of God, that no matter what it is that we're facing, that we would know that God is large and he's in charge. He, over the trials and the circumstances of this life that you are facing today, God is sovereign. God is in control. He knows everything about it. And whatever it is we face personally, what, whatever it is that is going on in our world, God has a good and a glorious plan for all those who are faithful. He has a good ending, a good ending for his people. And we're going to see that. And though there may be the trials and they, there may be the confusion that goes with that, there will be a good ending. There will be a good ending. Life, you know, they say, well, life isn't a fairy tale. It doesn't always have to end with a good ending. But with the word of God and as for believers in Jesus Christ, there is a good end to whatever it is that we're facing and whatever happens in this world. And so just to recap, first of all, the book starts off with the nation of Israel in some trouble. God chosen people were being taken away into captivity. They had been warned about this, but they had been, finally God said enough, and he allowed the Babylonians to come and take them 800 miles, take some of their, their nation's finest and the best, take them 800 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon into captivity because of their idolatry, chasing after other gods, and their immorality wanting to be like the people around them, and be like the culture rather than what God's word called them to, how they should be living their lives. And, and this had gone on for years, this disobedience and the warning after warning that God had given them through his word, through the Ten Commandments, through the prophets. And they did not listen. They were ignoring his kindness, ignoring his grace, and, and ignoring the repent, uh, the, the message and the warning to return back to God. And so finally Babylon came, the world ruling empire of the day with King Nebuchadnezzar and he took, took over that whole region and, and Israel as a nation fell into the hands of the Babylonians. And this captivity would last for how many years? 70 years, 70 years of captivity. It had been prophesied earlier by Jeremiah that it would be 70 years. And so in Daniel 1, we see Daniel, a young teenage boy, along with his three friends, were taken into captivity 800 miles from home, left their family, their friends, their culture, and everything. And those first six chapters, as we work through those chapters, reminded us and contained the lessons that as God's children, even though we face hard and different circumstances, and even though for them living in a pagan land far from home that they can still continue to live for God and take a stand for God and that God would honor that. And we believe that even today that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are far from home, aren't we? The Bible says we're aliens and strangers in this world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ and have trusted him for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, you are not a citizen of this earth. You are now a citizen of heaven and we are far from home. And so just like Daniel and his friends were far from home, we're far from our kingdom home where we will one day be. And so, yet God has allowed us and has placed us here on this earth. He's placed us in this city, in this region for his purposes. Not, we think we're here for our purposes. God has us here for his plan and for his purpose. 
And so the first six chapters teach us how it is possible amidst hard and difficult and extreme trials and circumstances that we can stay strong for God and we can live for him. The second half of the book, chapter 7 to 12, God gives Daniel a series of visions and dreams foretelling him of what is to come. And many of those visions and the dreams and what they all contained ended up taking place just as God said. And some of them, as we will see, are still yet to come. And so the second half of this book deals with these dreams and visions. Now, it's uh, not that... uh, As we see this through the book of Daniel, we see that it is not full of complete history of the world. As uh, if that was the case, I like what I read this past week, that if, if God's word contained the entire history of the world, we would have Bibles that would, we, we would have to bring in, in with wheelbarrows on a Sunday morning. I kind of thought, yeah, that, that would be very interesting. The history that we see so often contained in the word of God that we see of secular history of kings and nations have to deal with the nation of Israel. And folks, I encourage you to be people who keep your eye on Israel. Keep your eye on Israel because Israel is and always has been and, and, and it's a, it's a for, front runner in, in Bible prophecy. Keep your eyes on Israel because Israel has been the nerve center of the earth since the time of Abraham when God made his promise, his covenant to Abraham and to his people. And so it's been the nerve center. Jerusalem and Israel has been the truth center. It's been the area where so much divine revelation has flowed and it has flowed about the subject and the nation of Israel and the people. It has been the storm center of the, of the world in so many ways. Even in this passage, you'll see the north and the south referred to. North and south. They don't even name necessarily the names of those countries because it didn't really matter. What are they north and south of? Israel. And it, 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 everything all pertains to the nation of Israel. It has been the storm center. It has been, um, but it will one day also be the peace center, as it has been the storm center being war after war, and there will be the greatest wars that this world and the most horrific wars yet to come that this world has ever seen take place in that land near Jerusalem in the same way it will one day be the peace center. It will be the place where God will reign, where, where God's kingdom uh, will flow out of. And, and, and so keep your eye on Israel in the news and in the word of God as you read it. It's so important. And so if you remember a few weeks ago when we were in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was burdened. He was concerned. Now he was no longer a teenager like we saw him in chapter 1. By chapter 10, now he's an old guy. He's, I mean, in his, in his mid to late 80s. I mean, he's, he's pushing it. He's, he's like some of the men here in our church who are, but he's still going strong. Just like those that we have here that we are so blessed to have in our church. There was no no give out with him. He was continuing on. But here he had been in Babylon for over 70 years. And now he's burdened and he's concerned and he's confused. Because the, the king had given the Israelites the opportunity to head home. The captivity is over. You can head back to Israel. You can go back to Jerusalem. And he's confused and he's discouraged because they're not going home. Only 40,000 out of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jewish people, of Israelites, ended up going back to Jerusalem. Why didn't they go home? Why didn't they return? Why did so few go? Because they were enthralled with their lifestyle. They were into the culture of Babylon. They were entrenched in pagan lifestyles. The 40,000 that ended up returning back to Israel, they soon became discouraged because there were so few, and the work of restoring the temple and the walls and the city, it was so overwhelming, so the work ended up stopping. You see, those hundreds of thousands of people, even though they knew the truth of God's word, they knew what God's word had to say, and they were God's special chosen people, they weren't interested in these things, in, in going back. Who wants to do the work of God when we can pursue the riches and the pleasures all around us, the comforts of Babylon? Why return and rebuild broken cities? Why get our hands dirty? Why, why should we be involved in that? We've got our own lives to live. And so Daniel was burdened and concerned about that. They had been in captivity all these years and they had come to love the world around them. And God revealed, though, to Daniel... As chapter 10 ends and as we get into chapter 11 today, a revelation. He gives him some information. And to tell Daniel that Daniel, this captivity, this seven years is only the start of what's going to happen with your people. With, with the people that this is going to be a pattern of the people of God right until the end of time. 
right until the very end. This idolatry, this unbelief, this scattering, this interested in everything else but the things of God, and yet God is always preparing and preserving that remnant of his people. And so in chapter 10, Daniel is praying and he is fasting. He's seeking God. And after 21 days, he, God comes to him and a special, special revelation of Jesus Christ comes to him. And then he is given a dream. He's given a vision that we see here in chapter 11. And so this morning, as we look at these closing chapters, there's so much time and we could spend the next month of Sundays going through these last few um, events here. And yet some of them, as I said, have already been repeated earlier in the book. But we're going to draw out three final conclusions, three observations that we're going to see here from these final chapters of the end of time. And, And I trust that you'll write these down. There's going to be a lot of scripture verses that you can look up, that you can study. And just a reminder that when the message is posted Sunday afternoon on our website, also all of these slides are also posted. So if you miss a reference, you can go to the website, you can check the reference because all of these will be on there and and they last on there for one week, the slides. The sermons stay on continually, but just so you know that and and are aware of that, the slides are there for you to look at and to write down and to take notes from uh, if you're so interested and want to continue to keep studying the Word of God throughout the course of the week, which you strive strongly encourage you to do. So some final observations. The first one that we see here is that we see with pinpoint accuracy the word of God. We see just how accurate God's word is. And so as a result of that, we ought to study it. We need to trust it and we need to obey it in our lives. Now, the events of the first 35 verses here in chapter 11 take place um, in what is oftentimes referred to as the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Did you know that there's that gap? Between the last prophet writing, there's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and so it's often called the period of silence. Now, this just means that there was no further revelation, that God did not have any further revelation for any of his prophets. Instead, there was that waiting period, it seemed, that 400 years before Jesus Christ came to this earth in the form of a baby, in the incarnation. And so there's 400 years of silence but, uh, where there was no revelation from God, but history was not silent during this time. And here in these 35 verses, we get a glimpse of the history that took place during this 35 years of silence in the Bible, but secular history reports it. And God's word already foretells it hundreds of years before it even takes place. And so let's pick it up here in uh, chapter 11 verse 1 and it says and now I will show you the truth actually we're starting in verse 2 and now I will show you the truth behold three more kings shall arise in Persia and the fourth shall be far richer than all of them and when he has become strong through his riches he shall stir up all he will stir up all against the kingdom of Greece then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills And as soon as he is arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to his authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to the others beside these. So there's going to be three kings, it tells us, that will rise up in the Medo-Persian Empire, but it will give way to the Greek Empire. And again, some of this we've talked about already. We're not going to recap a lot of this. But what we need to see here is this is another reference to Alexander the Great. History reveals this. And it mentions him. And remember, what was he, what was he referred to in chapter 8? He was referred to as a certain animal. Do you remember? Anyone? What kind of animal? The goat, that's right, the greatest of all time, right? And, and in so many ways, he's looked upon as being one of the greatest of all time when it came to military power and strength and the way that he rose to power and swept across nations. But look at it in verse 4, it says, As soon as he is arisen, he will be broken down, divided into four. But it goes on to say, but not to his posterity. And we see that. And and, and again, we saw this in chapter 8, but I want to just recap for you so you can see the pinpoint accuracy of the word of God. Alexander the Great would rise up to power, and he would rise up quickly and powerfully, very swiftly. But at the age of 33, boom, he would die. And his kingdom would not go to his family. God's word called it hundreds of years before. His kingdom would not go to his posterity, nor according to his authority. There was no succession plan for his kingdom. And it ended up being divided up, what does it say here, by the four winds? 
In chapter 8, it talked about the four horns that, that, that took over his kingdom. Again, this imagery, this, this language that, that is, it's written in would have made a lot more sense necessarily for them in those days. But today, we can dis- decipher. And we see very clearly that this went to the four generals, to four of his generals, not to his family. And so here, God is telling Daniel, hundreds of years before it even happened, what would happen here on on planet Earth? And so now we, looking back at this and say, wow, look how accurate God's word is. Now, verses 5 and 6, we're not going to take time to go through this, but you might want to go through it because I'm telling you, you could study this stuff and it's amazing. There, there, I mean, chapter, verses 5 and 6 are filled with some incredible mystery and intrigue that is just, I mean, Hollywood could probably do some, some movies on, on this, on, on some of these historical kind of accounts that took place. And so I'll, I'll just summarize it quickly. Verses 5 and 6 involves a king giving his daughter to another king, the king from the north kingdom, uh, from the... North Kingdom giving his, his daughter to the king of the south to, in order to make an alliance. And, and they would often do that. However, the south king, he was already married. So, oh, I better divorce my wife. So he divorces his wife so he can take this, the, this younger daughter of the king from the north. Because you don't want to tick off the king and make this alliance. And so he divorced his wife. Well, the divorced wife got a little bitter. Something about a scorned woman. She was a little scorned. She takes poison, kills her husband. And, um, and, and so anyways... It, it ended up being a whole mess, and, and she ended up divorcing, uh, or, or, well, she had been divorced, and so she gave this poison, and so on. The story continues to go. It's fascinating. And, and God's word called this, as, as you see this, you don't see the exact detail of it, but you see this foreshadowing of, of what ended up coming. Historians tell us this story, but God spoke it hundreds of years in advance. So we see the pinpoint accuracy of the word of God. Now, If you look at verses 21 to 35, it goes on to describe who we've already looked at in previous weeks, Uh, Antichus Epiphany, who once again, we saw him, as I said, in chapter 8, who is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. He was a wicked, wicked, wicked king. And you see, folks, these kind of prophecies remind us and serve an important purpose to us, and it should speak loud and clear to us that, first of all, they authenticate God's word. God's word can be trusted. And so that's why we need to study it. That's why we need to study the word of God. These prophecies remind us that God is large and is in charge, that God sees the beginning from the end. I believe it's in Psalm, maybe Psalm verse 90, that the psalmist writes, he says, our lives are like a tale that has already been told. God already knows the beginning of our lives to the end. He knows every detail about us. He knows he's large, he's in charge, he's sovereign, he's in control. And so because of that, we need to trust his word. We read his word, we trust his word. But it also serves as a warning to us that we ought to obey his word. We need to take his word seriously. Now I want to kind of talk about a little bit of a debate that's going on in our world right now. Over the last few weeks, this debate has, I mean, it's fractured the internet. It's torn friendships apart, families, workplaces. It's even happened in our office. It's all about Yanni and Laurel. And, and, and what do you end up hearing on this? And how many of you hear Yanni when you hear this? How many of you hear Laurel? How many of you have no idea what we're talking about? <laughs> You're kidding me. You folks mustn't be online very much or something like that. That's maybe a good thing. Well, you're going to have a part, because I, I, I want to put this, I mean, we've had discussions in our office, and it's basically a recording, and some people will hear Yanni, and some people will hear Laurel, and in one account, I heard someone even heard donuts, but I think that person was just hungry or something like that. So we're going to have a once and for all kind of little vote here, and so you listen to this recording, and then we're going to do a vote, and this will settle it for me as far as what it should be. So go ahead and play it. Okay, good. Very well done. So, who heard Yanni? Yes. How many of you heard Laurel? Yanni wins. That's wonderful. That's totally what I've heard. And, and, and people have tried to come up with all different reasons. There, you people who heard Yanni in there, other people hear Laurel. 
It's like, how in the world can they hear that? And you're like, oh, like you just, I, I can't understand. And then there's some weird people who hear, Shayon, you hear both, don't you? You know, you hear, oh my, you know, and, and so sometimes they say, well, it has to do with age, but not necessarily. There were some younger people than me that can hear Yanni as well. And so I, you know, I kind of thought, well, maybe it's because I'm older. Some say it's decibel level. Some says it's due to hearing loss. Uh, I don't know exactly. And, and so I'm glad that we settled it once and for all, uh, you know, and, and, and as I've been going through this and even as a family, it's like, how in the world could you ever hear that? It makes no sense. Here's something else that makes no sense. I read recently of a story in Vancouver. Vancouver person who got two distracted driving tickets in seven minutes. So they get pulled over for being on their phone, and then they drive away, get a few blocks a little further away, and seven minutes later it's recorded by the Vancouver City Police that they received another distracted drive. You know, they're probably like texting their friends, just guess what happened, I just got a ticket. Over $700 in fines that they received in seven minutes because of their distracted driving. And, 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 and you just kind of think, you know, I mean... We have these laws, we have these warnings, we know the dangers, and yet we ignore it, don't we? We think we maybe are above the law, or we can somehow skirt it and we can get around it. We think we're invincible, we're not going to get caught, that, you know, sitting on your phone like this. And then, look at this guy in Vancouver, this is from Twitter, from the Vancouver City Police. Had a tablet and a, and a phone strapped to his steering wheel, and he didn't have his license on him. I'm telling you, I mean, that guy had potential for some pretty crazy fines there in and of itself for what he was doing. And again, you're just thinking, it's so clear, you know, that, that, that we're not supposed to do this thing, and yet we do it. Now, whether it's Yanni and Laurel, or whether it is distracted driving, it can even get a lot more serious than that. It's how people, God's people, throughout the centuries or people who have heard the word of God. And this is even prevalent, no doubt, in this room today and even in my own life here this morning as well, that we hear the word of God. We know what God's word says. We hear the warnings, and his warnings are clear that you will reap what you sow. That sin is fun for a season and we think we can flirt with it, we can play with it and somehow we'll get around it and God will just overlook it and we justify in so many ways and yet we ignore the teaching of God's word. When I read the word of God, I can't help but think how for centuries and even today, how could the Orthodox Jews miss the Messiah? How could they be so blind? How could they be so obtuse? How could they ignore what is so plain to see in the word of God? And yet, I need to look at my own life and see areas that I am disobeying God in. Areas where he calls me to holiness and I allow areas of unholiness in my mind, in my thoughts, in my attitudes. Where we can be hypocritical, where we can tell lies and not think much, we're just saving saving face with people or our employer or with family members. We hear the warnings and the instructions from God's word and we ignore it. We can hear solid preaching convincing us to follow the way of the word of God. We can have the Holy Spirit convicting deep within us and yet like Israel, just like the people in Daniel's day and just like the people today and just like me, we can end up ignoring the word of God and thinking we can somehow get around it. Sin is fun for a season, but there is always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay. We can be so blind, so deaf, so stubborn when it comes to these things. Loved ones, I, I want to tell you, this is coming from my heart to yours, that, that we have to examine our lives. And God's word, we see how accurate it is, and we're going to see what's going to unfold, and how we can find help, and we can find safety, and security, and protection, and know that in the end, we win if we stay faithful to God. If we're his child. And so we see here this pinpoint accuracy of the word of God. And how important it is that we study it. And we trust it. And then that we live it. We obey it in our lives. Second observation. We see that the end is fast approaching. Things will get worse before they get better. We need to prepare for it. 
We need to prepare for it. The end is fast approaching. Now, in verses 21 to 35, and you just might want to take a note on this or even put something in your Bible, what that was in verses 21 to 35 is something called prophetic telescoping or a foreshadowing of prophecies. Those there were fixed events about Antiochus Epiphanes, that terrible king, but he provided for us a foreshadowing or an example of something that is yet to come. And namely, the time that he lived in and the havoc that he created on the earth during that time will be a foreshadow, an example, a telescoping of what will come in the great tribulation as a result of the Antichrist. And so we have a picture and an understanding of this in Antichus Epiphanes. However, in verse 36, and you may want to put a line in your Bible or take note of this, there is a shift. The events from 36 to the rest of the chapter haven't happened yet. They're yet to come. And they are a coming. They are. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. These are events that haven't taken place yet, but they will. And so it's no longer about Antichus Epiphanes. It is now talking about the Antichrist that is yet to come. And how do we know this? Because of God's word. First of all, there's no one here that fits history's description of this yet. But one day someone will. As well, we overlay this with the other verses that, um, that uh, you'll get in, in a few moments in another section from 1 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. We're going to see a stunning picture here of the Antichrist. And so I'm going to read this passage here in verse 36. And it says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. And he shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. In other words, he will be possessed by Satan. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, which is Israel." And tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. He shall come to his end with none to help him. So here we have a description of war and turmoil and joining together with other nations, but only seeing more destruction and see the loss of many lives. The Antichrist will come with all of the evil power of all of the kings this world has ever seen, all of the evil power and might and even more, because as I said, he will be possessed by the devil himself. And folks, you need to know that this is all in the works. This will happen and some of this may happen sooner than we may think. Now, we must be careful. I encourage you to be very careful not to play pin the tail on the Antichrist. Uh, we can so easily do this and say, this person is the Antichrist, or I think it's this person. It will become very clear one day who the Antichrist will be. And there have been many... Um, opportunities to pin the tail, even as today there can be some of those opportunities. But it is vital that we pay attention. What we're talking about here, folks, no sleeping. This is, this is serious, this is important, but it's also super exciting because in the end, we know God wins. 
in the end, we know victory will triumph. God will triumph in victory. And folks, the sign of the times are all around us. We need to look to the word of God and we look at the world and see what's going on. We need to be prepared. The alignment of countries, we're going to get into in a few moments. The technology and the weaponry, it's all good to go. The Pope, we have a Pope who fits the spirit and the character and ideology of the false prophets and teachers that are mentioned in the, in the word of God. Pay attention to that as, as you'll just continue to see a slide going in that direction with what our Pope, some of the things coming out of his mouth over the last number of weeks has just been astounding. All of these key things are, pro are things that prophecy teachers have been teaching for hundreds of years and even the last 40 to 50 years. Uh, as we're seeing the increase, we're seeing the intensity of all of this. And now, I mean, this is just happening. It's moving, things are moving into position and we need to take, take, take alert of this. And this is where you can do some study this week. There's going to be some scripture verses here. I encourage you to be writing this down. Here are just a few signs of the times. First of all, creation groaning. See this in Matthew 24, 25, Jesus talking about this, Luke 21, there's other places, but there are some quick passages for you to look at this week. God's word tells us that there will be an increase of natural disasters and birth pains that will come just as a little baby comes into this earth with increasing severity of the birth pains, so will come increasing severity of these natural disasters. 2017 by secular mainstream media are calling it the year of the natural disasters and they're saying there's no end in sight. I mean, just think of all the things that took place last year and the things that have happened already this year. Hurricane, flooding, wildfires, earthquakes. Uh, even currently, the, the volcano, the fireballs in, in Hawaii. Unbelievable. Fireballs shooting up into the sky. I, I did come across this little article that I thought was a little comical that this was actually appeared, I believe, is in the Washington Post. There's little, somebody maybe lost their job. Volcano in Hawaii may spew fridge-sized refrigerators. It's supposed to be fridge-sized fireballs, but somebody kind of missed that there a little bit. But that you have fireballs shooting up into the air. I mean, just, just bizarre kind of things taking place. Our, our creation is groaning. There's convulsions, and, and so this is a major sign that we are in the last days. It's just with increasing intensity. Here's another one. Moral and spiritual decline. I don't need to say much in this. I don't want to sit here and just discuss and talk about where our society is going and all of the things that we're seeing, whether it's in our own school systems or whether it's in society, uh, all of these different things. Jeremiah 6.15, though, I thought this was a very interesting verse. It says, nations won't even blush any longer. They won't even know how to blush any longer. And aren't we there that you hear stuff now? And I remember years ago, my grandparents coming over to Canada and having no understanding in the word of God, any concept of homosexuality. And when it was explained to them, apparently they were sick for like a week. They just couldn't believe what would happen. Now we, we, we hear of sexual sin, sexual immorality in all kinds of forms and measures and Society doesn't even blush anymore. It's a sign that, that it's coming. And, and, and then even within the life of the church, ear-tickling messages, spiritual apathy, complacency. We're more interested in building our own kingdoms than the kingdom of God. We have that faithful remnant who serve the Lord faithfully and faithfully and Others, we just see it oftentimes as something we consume. I don't know where we picked that up. That's been in the last probably number of decades and, and here in North America where we are called to be the body of Christ, serving and growing and learning together and sacrificing and giving of ourselves in that way. Currently, there's, there, there's a televangelist or, or one of these prosperity guys who's asking his followers, his supporters for $54 million to buy him another jet, the fourth, third or fourth jet in his, his jet pack set, I guess, because he, he believes that Jesus, if he was alive today, wouldn't be on a donkey, that Jesus would be on one of those jets. Jesus wouldn't fly on, on, on economy fare, and so he needs a, a third or fourth jet, $54 million. Sad thing is he'll get it because he will promise his followers that they will be rewarded and blessed if they give money towards that. It's like unbelievable, and people fall for it. And God's word tells us we're going to see this kind of thing happen and, and with increased intensity. 
Here's another thing, an unlikely alliance. Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk of nations joining together and attacking Israel in the early stages of the Great Tribulation. Uh, and, and, and those verses describe that war. And who are those countries that are outlined there in Ezekiel 38 and 39? Well, here are some of them. And this is just happening in the news even in the last few weeks. Uh, coming out of the Syrian crisis, we are now seeing Russia, Turkey, and Iran mentioned in the word of God as countries joining together to come against Israel. And that's what they're doing. Putin is bringing them together in this way. You can't make this stuff up. It's happening. Israel's 70th anniversary of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. I mean, that's significant. And it's 70? 70? 70 is an important number often when it comes to biblical prophecy. It's an important biblical number. And so again, we keep our eyes and our ears on Israel and see what's happening there. Travel and technology. This one's kind of interesting and kind of amazing. In, in chapter 12, in the next chapter here that we'll get to in a few moments, you're going to see in verse 4, it says, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So, so when, they, when Daniel wrote this, what in the world is he? Knowledge, people will run to and fro. Like, will they just run races and back and forth? Or is this talking about airplane travel? How you think someone, and this just happened in our family just this past week, Charlotte jumped on a plane, and in 14 hours, she was from Vancouver to Sydney, Australia to see our daughter. In 14 hours, something that, I mean, even 50, 60 years ago, for someone just to jump on a plane and jet set across a little bit of an ocean there in order to, to, to go visit someone, just unthinkable. People, we can jump on a plane, and, and in no time, just like I was a few months ago, about a month ago, next thing you know, I'm here one day, next thing I'm in Romania, and, and you're back. I mean, it's just crazy, this kind of airplane travel. And and even the creepier thing on this, I checked in on my ladies this morning as there they were at the Bible school. Clarice was in her dorm. Hers is on the bottom right. And Charlotte was at the guest house at the top left. I was able to, creepy, isn't it? If I can creep them, who else can be creeping them and know where they're at, right? I mean, it's all, I mean, you just see this increase of technology, people running to and fro. In the, seven, in the year 1700, in order for world knowledge to double, it would take 200 years. So between 1700 and 1900, world knowledge doubled. In, it took 200 years for world knowledge to double. In the 1980s, world knowledge was doubling at an increased speed of every eight years. Now they are saying that it is happening in less than one year that world knowledge is developing because of nanotechnology and all of the computers and everything that we have in this world. And in a few places I read, sources seem to indicate that by 2020, that's not far off, that world knowledge will double every 12 hours. This is happening. God's word is knowledge shall increase. Yeah, you think it's happening. Even when it comes to the mark of the beast. Revelation 19 says that it will be impossible for anyone to buy or sell who does not have the mark of the beast. 50, 60 years ago, even 25 years ago, you think, well, how is that going to be possible? People are going to like have these little tattooed numbers on their head. That's going to seem a little weird with, with all the microchip technology. It's happening. And it can happen. Things are set up for this. Or take, for example, in... Revelation 11, when it describes the great tribulation, and it talks about two witnesses in the streets of Jerusalem, and Antichrist has them murdered in the streets, and, and it tells us that every nation on earth will see them lying dead on the streets. How in the world, 30 or 40 years ago, could this ever been possible that everyone in the world would see these two witnesses dead on the streets of Jerusalem? Ha! Satellite technology, Facebook Live, it can happen. J just a few weeks ago, how many of you got a notification on your phone? That, that emergency alert kind of thing? Some of you, some of you didn't. Uh, that's not good. You, you, you may miss out on some, some kind of thing. They're working on it, but, but I was in a Starbucks at the time, and my phone went off, and all of a sudden it was funny how many people's phones were going off, giving them that emergency alert that, that our cell phone providers and, and our, our, our nation is setting up to warn people of upcoming kind of things. How, how, how easily you can see what's going to take place in Revelation 11 could easily happen by satellites, TV news networks, and by our phones. 
Another thing is a revived Roman Empire, a ten-nation confederacy. Remember, we talked about that just a number of weeks ago, and this is happening. Last week we talked, we saw from Daniel 7, it talks about... Um, the nations coming together and the French president who is pulling together uh, 10 nations. And God's word talks about 10 nations from Europe, the revived Roman Empire coming together to form an intervention force, as it's called, or a super army with a defense budget and their own doctrine. Again, this is happening. Now, I don't want to be an alarmist totally, but I want to wake us up. I want us to, you know, I don't want to make quick conclusions on any of these things that I've talked about. We just need to see time will make these things clear, but we need to realize the season that we are in. You see, it is out of all of these things that the Antichrist will emerge. And he will emerge in the seven years of the Great Tribulation, but the first three and a half years are going to be amazing. The first three and a half years, people will love him. He will set things right. Just a number of things that we see from the word of God of what he will do. We will see that, that he'll end up, um, he will come in peace, rising up from this ten-nation confederacy. He will problem-solve in the Middle East, and people will love the peace and the stability that he brings. He will protect Israel. he become a protector of Israel for three and a half years, and they will love him. They will absolutely love him and he will allow for them to sacrifice. They will allow the temple to be rebuilt. He will deceive so many. Even today, apparently, I would love to know this for sure. I've heard this mentioned that if you go to the streets of Jerusalem, you ask an Orthodox Jew and they say, how will you recognize the Messiah? And many of them will say, he will allow us to worship at the temple once again. He will rebuild the temple and he will allow us to worship. And who's going to do that? Antichrist. He will deceive many. That's his strategy. He will have a strong economic strategy. But halfway through that three and a half years, uh, three and a half years into the seven years of tribulation, he breaks the pact with Israel. He desecrates the temple. The abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Again, we saw a foreshadowing of that in Antichrist, Epiphanies. He blasphemes God, sets himself up as God as we are just reading here. He wants everyone to worship him. And if you don't, he will not tolerate no other gods, no other religions. There will be no buying or selling without taking the mark of the beast. He will unleash a fury on Jews and on believers on this world like we have never seen before. It will be the Holocaust of Holocausts. It's around that time, Revelation 6 to 18 begin to take place. The seven seals are open, the seven trumpets are blown, and the seven bowls are poured out. God's wrath upon the earth. This will happen. And what does it say in verse 44? It says, he will devote many to destruction. Israel will be devastated. God's word tells us that two out of every three Jewish person will die. But God always saves a remnant. And yet the greatest battle, the battle of Armageddon, will take place. But then suddenly and quickly, what does it say in verse 45? He will come to his end. Folks, the end is coming. And it will get worse before it gets better. But we need to be prepared. We need to be aware of what is going on. But here's the third greatest reality and the thing we're going to close out here this morning with. The greatest evil brings way to the greatest good. And that is our salvation. If you have not done so yet today, would you receive the salvation that is offered from our God? Look what it says in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen. There was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. The Bible says in Revelation 19 that Jesus, he will come out of the sky on a white horse. He will come and out of the word of his mouth, the war will be over. He won't even have to flex a muscle. He will just speak the word and the war is done. The beast will be struck down with the sword that comes out of his mouth, cast into the lake of fire. Last part of verse 1 there, it says, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name is found written in the book. 
for all who have truly, genuinely believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. And their life has been a living evidence that something has happened within their lives. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your name is written in the book of life. Is your name written in that book? Are you a child of God's? Look at verse 2. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Here God is speaking to Daniel about the resurrection from the dead. For those people who have died here on this earth, we're going to see where our spirits will rejoin our physical bodies in some incredible miracle that God performs. And it says there, it says many, but the actual Hebrew translation for many is actually, it says it's all. It says all will be raised. Some to eternal life, which will be a life beyond compare. And others raised to eternal contempt in hell for eternity. This morning on our way to church, Nate and I stopped at a beach this is the most we could get because it was going to be too heavy. Picked up some sand. Good old Okanagan beach sand. And you just think, look at how many grains of sand are there. And now it's getting dusty. Now, I'm going to reach in. I'm going to pull one out. There, sitting on my thumb is one grain of sand. You know what that one grain of sand represents? Your life and the time that you have here on this earth. That's it. One little grain of sand. Eternity goes on and on and on without end. If you were to take all the sand on the seashore and Okanagan Lake and all the world and counted every one of them, eternity would still just be beginning. And folks, we put so much time and attention and focus on that one little grain of sand, spending our money, our time, our resources on things that won't last, rather than what God's word has to say in preparing us and preparing others for the eternity to come. God's word is clear. I'm not just making this up. Our time on this earth is like that little grain of sand. Is your name written in the book? Will you enjoy eternal life beyond compare forever and ever with Jesus? Or will it be eternal cont cont contempt in hell? And it all comes down to what you have done with Jesus. I know some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, but I thought the church, we're not going to be around for this time. There's various views. There's the pre-tribulation view of the rapture, that the church will be raptured out. There's the mid-trib, that partways through when things really get ramped up, that's when Jesus will come and, and call his church home. And there are those who don't believe in the rapture. They, that it will, come at the, it will happen at the second coming of Christ, that Christians will go through the tribulation. And there are trusted, respected Bible scholars that are all across the board on this. And folks, plain and simple, we don't know. So much of what we're still to talk about, it's like me wearing sunglasses in here. It's already a little harder to see some of you, although I can see who's falling asleep. When I put these on, it's, a hard, it's much harder for me to see, but one day the glasses will come off and we're going to see so much clearer. We don't know fully, and so we need to prepare. We hope for the best, but prepare for the worst, and we must be ready, and we must prepare those that are around us. There will be people who will come to faith in Jesus Christ during this time, but it will be hard, but they will be genuine believers in Christ. And I don't know the timetable of all this is happening, but every single passage of Scripture in the Word of God tells us it's getting later and later and later than ever before. None of us can assume that we will be here next week. We can't. We don't know if God will give us the next 24 hours. Our lives can be, could end at any time. Is your name written in the book? 
What have you done with Jesus? What are you currently doing with Jesus? Would your life today demonstrate that he is your Lord and your Savior, that you are rearranging and living a life that would be for his honor and your glory, or is it for yours? Living for that little grain of sand, living for the pleasures that will last for a season, sin that looks fun for a time, and ignoring the truths of God's word. The rest of this chapter, we're not going to go through it today. We're going to go into a time of worship and communion. But the rest of this chapter closes with some more details about days and times and, and various things like that. It's like the sunglasses we see darkly right now, but one day it will be more clear. But one thing we know is that the ungodly kingdom, the ungodly will not last and Christ will reign triumphant. There will be trials and tribulations that this world will see, and there are trials and tribulations that we will see in our own lives, and some of you are facing, we're facing them right now. Those worries, those fears, those things, we don't know how it's all going to work out. But God uses every one of these because these trials and persecutions either cause us to run from God or look up to God, and allow him to refine us and to purify us and to run to him as our only hope, because he is our only hope. And he will see us through. He has a glorious ending for his children. And so we pray for strength and wisdom on a daily basis. We pray for strength and wisdom for those who will go through this season of tribulation that will end up happening at some point. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but we, we know that this will be a warring nation and a warring country until the day that Christ returns. Our hope is not in the deliverance of the trials. Our hope is in Christ who will see us through the trials. Do you know him today? Is your name written in the book? And it goes on to say in verse three, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Don't be unwise. Be the wise. What have you done with Jesus? Examine your heart. Do you know him today? And if so, then it's... Then, we're also told here to be on mission in telling others about him. Whose plan, whose agenda are you living for? Are you living for that little grain of sand or are you living for eternity? If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ in a few moments, I'm going to just have a time of pause and reflection and give you an opportunity to have that talk with the Lord. And for the rest of you, I encourage you to take this time as the band comes up at this time to prepare your hearts to examine where are you at? Perhaps you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, but boy, there's, there's some areas that, that need some attention in your life, some sins that need to be confessed, repented, stopped of, stopped. And a pursuit of righteousness that we are to pursue. The call for us is to be faithful. And out of that faithfulness will come a fruitfulness that God will use us to point other people to Jesus Christ. Jesus.